Perform this on demand. The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. The country has been pushed to the limit. Our political bonds have been torn apart. We need a true leader who can save us from certain doom. (laughs) Unfortunately, we could only find this guy. Hey, it's Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck is coming live to talk about the right path forward and to make fun of the people standing in the way. He might not be able to save the country, but at least we can all go down laughing. Glenn Beck Live, the Addicted to Outrage Tour, on tour this fall. For tickets, VIP packages, and more, visit glennbeck.com. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. I am your friendly American Muslim patriot, somebody who I hope you come to week to week to find a discussion about topics that you just won't hear anywhere else, where the mainstream media is either asleep, anesthetized, or paralyzed in their political correctness, where you may hear the voice of a moderate Muslim, a, I hate the term moderate, uh, a patriotic Muslim, an anti-Islamist Muslim, a reformist Muslim. Uh, I call this program Reform This because this is the program where week to week I look at a number of areas that need reform. You don't just sort of talk about general reform of religion. Reformation starts with specifics, with specific areas, ideas that need reform. And this week, fear not, it will not be any different. We will dive into reform for Palestinians. We'll look at reform for high school kids talking about 9-11 in America. So welcome. And if this is uh, your first time, I hope you enjoy it and come back to listen again and again Uh, and share with your friends. Let them know that there is podcasts out there by Muslims who love this country, who believe in the responsibility that we have to reform our religion. So what I want to start with this week, uh, I've got two subjects I'm going to cover with you. First, there's a lot of talk about getting into the weeds of the Palestinian issue in Gaza and the West Bank, and on and on. But this week, a group called IMPACT, the Institute for Monitoring Peace and Cultural Tolerance and Social Education, was reported by I-24. And if you haven't seen I-24, go to their website, i24news.tv. It's a new station uh, based in New York and Jerusalem. And uh, I've had the honor of being interviewed multiple times on their network uh, before. Uh, They are really making a niche for themselves in coverage of Middle Eastern issues and uh, Israeli politics, the the, uh, Israel issue. Uh, issues, I believe, that are really not covered as thoroughly and as uh, balanced in uh, many of the other media. This week, their website released uh, a study that talked about the European Union as being the biggest international donor to the Palestinian Authority, heavily subsidizing teacher salaries. So why is that story important? Well, when you look at the textbooks, What are these teachers teaching in the Palestinian Authority? The Palestinian Authority textbooks had not been reformed, had not been redone since 2000 after the Oslo Accords. The Oslo Accords were done in the 90s. 
And according to an analysis of textbooks for grades 1 through 12 by, the, by IMPACT, the Institute for Monitoring Peace and Cultural Tolerance in School Education, it revealed for the first time that the reformed, so-called reformed curriculum, has the central goal of encouraging Palestinian children to, quote, sacrifice their lives in the name of religion, glorifying martyrdom or violent resistance. Now, I think one of the fascinating things about their study was that usually you think that these conversations are limited to religion, history discussions, and that's often where we see it. But the CEO of Impact SE, Marcus Sheff, told I-24 News that it goes well beyond that. He said the Palestinian Authority strategies to keep millions of young Palestinians on a low light, ready for violence whenever that might be necessary. The report finds a common radical voice accommodating the full spectrum of nationalist and Islamist ideologies with the severe demonization of Israel, anti-Semitic motifs, and indoctrination towards the violent liberation of Palestine and the ultimate destruction of Israel. And what was amazing about their research is that you found sublim—I mean, truly subliminal, but pretty obviously clear, not so subtle, radicalization in math, in physics, in science, in biology, computer science, language, study of Arabic. So this is not just limited to history and religion. They're radicalizing these kids by telling them in math class, a fourth grader's taught that the use of the number of Palestinian martyrs in two violent intivadas against Israel. So they add numbers using the number of intifadas against Israel to be the basis by which they use the number two. In ninth grade, children are taught to use frequency tables with the numbers of martyrs killed, quote-unquote martyrs, killed in Israel and Jerusalem over the course of the years. In a science class, Newton's second law of motion is taught through the image of a boy targeting soldiers with a slingshot used to explain the concepts of power, mass, tensile strength, and circular motion. And a physics textbook even asks the children what safety precautions they should take when using a slingshot. Children learn about hormones by describing clash with the Israeli army. So they teach them hormones that can spike when they're clashing with an enemy, such as the Israeli army. And about the spine, the anatomy, by talking about a bullet that goes through due to Zionist aggression. Teaching Arabic, first graders learn that the letter Ha, H, using such words as Shahid, martyr, Hujum, attack, Hujum, and Harab, to run away. These are the letters, these are the words they're being taught. And the curriculum goes on, overt examples of incitement to violence, and a poem, for example, taught third graders the lines, I vow I shall sacrifice my blood to saturate the land of the generous and will eliminate the usurper from my country and will annihilate the remnants of the foreigners. That's poetry, supposedly poetry, war poetry that's being taught to young children, third graders.
They're even taught in a curriculum that, this is the new curriculum, by the way, just modified two years ago. Hadn't been modified in 20 years. They're taught terrorism is considered a legitimate tool for liberation movements. Dalal Mugharabi, who participated in the 78 Coastal Road Massacre that killed 38 Israelis, including 13 children, is hailed as a hero, a martyr. The 1972 Munich Massacre is seen in their textbooks where 11 Israeli athletes were killed in the Olympics, described in a history book as an operation forming part of the Palestinian resistance. If that's not Hamas literature, I don't know what is. So there's anti-Semitic motifs, pro-Jihad, pro-terror, and Elan Levy did some great reporting for I-24 on this. I want to spend a little bit of time talking to you about, well, what does this mean? How do you change this? You know, I was on the U.S. Commission on Religious Freedom, and we went to Saudi Arabia three times. I went there, and we sat, and one of the main reasons we called them a country of particular concern and recommended sanctions against the Saudis because of the distribution of hate propaganda, not least of which was their educational curricula, Constantly, we spent hours looking through their books, and they said, oh, yes, this interpretation of chapter 5 in Ma'idah in the Qur'an is, is, needs to be uh, removed, and, and they would remove this uh, uh, demonization of the Jews, and that demonization of Israel, and this demonization of Christians, and this about what happens to apostates. And those were singular lines, and you just can't white out hate. It'd be like saying you can take Mein Kampf and remove a few lines here and there and make it moderated. I, I kept telling them as, as the lone Muslim voice on the commission that you just can't do it that way. You need to work with reformers, and this is what Israel needs to do. You're, the future of living side by side with a Palestinian community that has reformed is true reformation, is not band-aids of removing hate but what's going to fill that vacuum less violent hate muted hate that under the surface is the same but just appears to be not in their textbooks it needs an arab awakening but against their own tyrants not one that blames everything on Israel and blames everything on the West and conspiracy theories, but one that actually looks at the root cause, which is a culture that looks at the lens of their entire existence through militancy, through jihad, and through supremacism. When we come back, let's talk about real reform for Palestinians. And why Why has it avoided them? This is Udi Jasser on Reform This. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. Pat Gray. Donald Glover okay. showing up, who's a black man, showed up in whiteface in the auditorium. And if anybody shows up in blackface, They're you tired. lose your job. You, you're done forever. You're discarded in society. And I guess that's just funny now. You, you can be <laughs> Make fun of white people. Uh, yes! It's funny because he's racist against Finally, whitey. We're there. <laughs> Whiteies. <laughs> Pat Gray. Unleashed. Unleashed. Join me Monday at noon Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. The 
Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. We often talk about Palestinian radicalization, the influence of Hamas, which is a militant offshoot of the militant terrorist organization Muslim Brotherhood, uh, a branch of the Brotherhood in the Palestinian communities. And somehow that ends the conversation. Sometimes you just say, oh, okay, the Hamas is terrorist and they're militant, so therefore that's the problem. And and we just need to outlaw Hamas, which we have called them an FTO for some time, but that doesn't seem to solve the problem. Well, I have to tell you, as messy as the Middle East looks today, as messy as it looks, it is improving since 2011. You might not see it as improvement, but... We've talked on this program about the positive changes in Tunisia. In Tunisia, where you saw the Islamists come to power, and Nahda, the Muslim Brotherhood Party, took over after an election and the king had pulled out in 2011 after the revolution. And Nahda wins. We can talk about the percentages, but barely, basically won with 30% of the vote. And then they went on a runoff. But they won the election. But then in December 2014, they lost. And now you have a coalition of groups, but basically the Islamists have been marginalized, weakly, but marginalized. And for the first time, you have a democratic, more vibrant community that is beginning to debate, have newspapers, have, have a, a freer media, and begin to marginalize the Islamic theocratic mindset based in dividing the world into the land of Islam and the land of war. So that is a process that I think can be replicated throughout the Middle East. We can talk about each country and its own dynamics, Syria's Syria's, uh, disasters, uh, its its civil war, uh, and, and what we can do in each of those countries. But I think at the end of the day, what we learn is that there is a synchrony, a mirror image between dictatorships in the Middle East and radical Islamism's fuel and its growth. So that synchrony prevents the reforms because both entities, be it El-Sisi's military dictatorship, Mubarak's or Nasser's, or the king of Saudi Arabia and Wahhabism in Saudi Arabia or the Khomeinists in Iran, where you see a complete merging of theocrats and and, uh, the Islamists. Uh, But um, ultimately, you can't create the milieu of a society that will begin to reform the ideas that created those textbooks that the Palestinian kids were reading unless you have free thinking, critical thinking, and a marginalization of the establishment they might talk about moderating and defeating the Brotherhood as the Saudi Arabian government does, but reform-minded jurists who empower individual thought, who disempower theocratic control of dress, of religious practice, of, of equality, of uh, sexual identity, all these things that are controlled by theocrats, 
are empowered in some way or another in forms of autocracy. So fast forward to what we were talking about with the Palestinian radicalization is that it's not a surprise that these studies show in every class, from math to physics to biology to history, they are in, instilling in these kids ideas that are setting the seeds so that fuses can be lit later, in which they see the world as victims. They see the world through the lens of a jihad, a militancy, a, a conspiracy against Muslims, a victimization. And if they do it in, in vignettes for math calculation, if they do it in vignettes for um, historical recount, and they do it in literature reading, poetry, it will cause a sense of that's the lens through which they see the world. And that's classic Orwellian totalitarianism. That's the way the Chinese have tried to deprogram Muslims. That's the way Chinese have tried to uh, deprogram anyone who doesn't believe in their society and their communist party. That's how the Soviets and the, the Russian autocrats have operated. Every dictatorship, Venezuelan dictatorship and socialism, prevented the creativity that needed any vibrancy in their economy and their society. This is classic fascism with economic socialism. Religious freedom cannot thrive in these environments. So, as you look at the examples in Palestinian literature and Palestinian teachings to their kids, as you look at these examples, you say, how do we get past this? It's not to pull out, yes, pulling out the textbook shows you the disease, but telling them to fix their textbooks is not going to work. They need an Arab awakening inside their community against both Fatah and especially Hamas the secular dictators and the theocratic dictators that tell the kids that thrive on a society that's militarized, that leaves nothing left for the rest of the world to go to in their population other than these mafiosos that run the only two monopolies in town of political control. So I think there needs to be a program, a strategy, in which reform-minded Palestinian Muslims and non-Muslims are engaged in beginning to create platforms of radically secular thinking that is based in liberty and freedom, that is part of an Arab awakening where they can shed the yoke of oppression that has dominated the Palestinian community for some time. Palestinian leaders exist. You can find them online uh, that folks like Bassem Eid uh, that writes for Gatestone and others uh, that are Palestinians who recognize uh, Khaled Abu Tame, a journalist in the Palestinian areas who I've met multiple times in Jerusalem. These are Palestinians who love their community but recognize that the primary pathology is not the, the democracy of Israel, not the democracy of the United States or European states that they constantly obsess on UN votes and activities against Israel, but the primary pathology is the paralysis of the ideologies of their leadership. True reform is going to be modernization against Islamism, against the Islamist doctrine, no longer using math equations to teach 
adding up intifadas and adding up martyrdom operations. No longer using poetry to, to glorify the killing of the suicide bombing, the martyrdom of individuals in jihad. Remember, a few months ago I talked to you about Erdogan in front, President Erdogan in front of a, a school brought up a girl and, and, and congratulated her on how in the future he hoped that she would consider following and, and believe in the honor of those who died in martyrdom. I mean, this is an Islamist tyrant who now we see continues to solidify the tyranny in his government. But Turkey's on the verge of also needing a Turkish awakening against their tyranny. So I think the textbooks are, are uh, the study by impact is, is important to expose what actually is being taught, how much even more radicalized it was than the horrific textbooks we saw 20 years ago after the Oslo Accords, how you can't put uh, uh, lipstick on that pig. You can't modernize what is already tyrannical. You have to start from anew, begin to build new Palestinian organizations that are based in equality, liberal ideas, liberal democratic ideas that reject the imams, reject the clerics, reject the misogyny, reject the jihad, and begin to develop a Palestinian identity that is felt to be equal to each other and all other nations and not to be expansionist and not to have a role in radicalizing you know i mentioned in uh, one of the interviews i did on this on this topic this week that this is not this is not limited to the palestinians Look at what imams are saying in Virginia and California and elsewhere where in which they invoke after President Trump moved the embassy to Jerusalem. The invocation of, of hateful sermons in the United States against the Jewish state, against Israel, against Zionism in an anti-Semitic way shows you that this is the same ideology that's being imbibed into these textbooks for kids. So if you want to reform this, you need to demand of the Palestinian community to begin to have movements and institutions, universities, and debates about what are the roots of these ideas, the interpretations of chapter 5 and Ma'idah, chapter 9, uh, uh, pejoratively called the chapter of the sword, which has d descriptions of battles that you and I have talked about on this program a few years ago, a few months ago. And ultimately, those need to be looked at in a modernist lens. And the lens of dividing the world into the land of Islam and the land of war needs to be aborted, needs to be dumped into the trash bin of history. And we need to start looking at a world that government is not under Islam, under Sharia, but under God. And all are equal regardless of faith or no faith. And that the society's law is based in reason and not based on hating the other in some Machiavellian formula of propaganda. That's the only way Palestinians are going to be, Palestinians are going to be reformed, and the Palestinian community would deserve a seat at the table. At this point, you see what they're teaching their kids. That, that's the community that's going to have a seat at the table with a democratic country? Which democratic country is going to sit 
equal to provide statehood to a country that teaches its kids systematically through UNRWA funding, UN relief funding, deeply anti-Semitic literature. The EU needs to wake up. They need to stop funding it. Sanctions work, as we're seeing in Iran. Sanctions actually begin to put walls around the, the tyranny, the tyrannical establishment, so that the more moderates can have a voice and begin to turn their government so that they can become a normal country, a normal people. And I think if you look across the Middle East, I hope actually in the future we apply the same thing to Saudi Arabia, Egypt, not all too quickly. I understand Riyadh politik, as they say, that we have to have our friends uh, in order to maintain balance. But there also is a way for tough love in which we begin to tell our friends that, okay, we're friends. I mean, look at what we're doing with Europe and tariffs and trade things because we want it to be fair and balanced with other democracies. Why can't we do the same thing with so-called allies who are spreading ideologies that are incompatible with loving America and working with the West. Something to think about. When we come back, we just had 9-11 a little over a week ago and the 17th anniversary. I talked about that last time. But now there's been some fallout on what teachers do in recognizing that. I want to talk to you about that. This is Udi Jasser on Reform This. We'll be right back. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is... Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc. It's, it's so funny to watch them thread the needle of why this is wrong when you say, uh, yeah, uh, Winnie to Broderick. What about um, that's different? Why is it different? I mean, as far as the overall idea of you're accusing someone and telling me that as long as somebody accuses somebody, whoever they accuse, they're automatically guilty. The Morning Blaze, weekday mornings, 6 to 9 Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. Um, You know, after 9-11, I talked last week about commemoration, things to remember, where we are strategically, where we are as a country, how we needed to take the offense. But I came across a story in New Jersey media that was forwarded to me and actually ended up talking to one of the reporters. We'll see if they publish a story about it, and I'll keep you up to date on that. Uh, But the story was posted on September 13th. And it was out of Vernon, New Jersey, and it said, On a day of mourning of the 3,000 people killed on 9-11 by Islamic terrorists inspired by Osama bin Laden, a middle school social studies teacher allegedly, middle school, middle school social studies teacher, allegedly decided to skip that part of the discussion Tuesday and instead teach a fictionalized account of a Muslim boy being picked on because of his name, Osama. School officials have been mostly mum on the matter, and I'm... This is from the story, and the title of the story was Teacher's 9-11 Lesson Angers a Vernon Family. This is in the New Jersey Herald. School officials didn't want to talk about it. It was brought to their attention. They said it was dealt with internally. A couple told the New Jersey Herald Wednesday that they were outraged and have since had their daughter pulled out of the teacher's class. 
Ed O'Rourke, a, fa- a former Marine, said he and his wife Jody found out about it almost by accident while having dinner with their daughter, who's in sixth grade, Tuesday evening. I thought it was a joke, O'Rourke said. I couldn't believe it. The story that the teacher had her students read was titled, My Name is Osama. And if you Google that, you can read uh, the entire story. It tells a made-up account of an Iraqi immigrant boy named Osama who faces taunts of terrorists, of bullying in school by several students who tell him his mother, who wears a hijab, has a bag on her head. And after pushing back against his tormentors, the boy is suspended from school for fighting. So he fights back physically after being tormented mentally and the victimization grows and the students at this New Jersey school read this fictional story on 9-11. The Marine said it would be like on a day of the, about the Holocaust doing a made-up lesson about a boy named Adolf being bullied by the Jewish kids and saying we shouldn't blame all Germans or don't pick on the poor kid named Adolf. It's grotesque. O'Rourke said he conveyed his concerns late Tuesday, and then he had meetings. He said they allowed him to vent. They couldn't have been better that way, but he doesn't know what's going to come of this and doesn't know what formalities are going to happen as a result. It'll probably create, bottom line, you know, I think it's going to create more 10-foot pull marks, not dealing with the issue, avoidance. Two years before the 15th anniversary of 9-11, the New Jersey Herald did a story on how Vernon Township teachers were approaching the sensitive topic. Three teachers who were interviewed described efforts to guide students toward a personal connection and how it had changed. No officially designated curriculum exists. The reporter I talked to told me that teachers actually just sometimes Google to get, you know, teaching recommendations, stories. New Jersey social studies standards call for terrorism and its effects to be taught in age-appropriate manner starting in elementary school. That story was by Eric Obernauer. I spoke to a different reporter. And a, a couple things. First of all, I was asked about whether if it had been done in December, would it have been okay instead of 9-11? Was it the date that mattered? I think the date amplified all the problems. But the problem still exists, which is I, as an Arab American, I, as a Syrian, a Muslim American, I don't want to be hyphenated, by the way, but it's relevant to this story. With those beliefs, those ethnicities, ideas, being Muslim, Islamic, do you treat me with more respect or less respect when you make the entire subject about me? When I see my entire class, and this is my kids, I have kids all in these age ranges, in high school and junior high school, grade school, they're 16, 14, and 10, and I, what I want the class looking at feeling like they're going to walk on eggshells when talking to our kids or any other Arab or Muslim American? Absolutely not. As the mantra in our Muslim Liberty Project is, we are Americans that happen to be Muslim, not Muslims who demand to be American. So that mantra, that mindset that 
The Islamists want to demand to be American as if they have rights entitled to them that they are going to get by golly no matter what right now and you better own up and feel guilty about it if you even look at them sideways because somehow you mixed up radical Islamists that hijacked planes and flew them into the World Trade Center. Sure, people are ignorant, people need education, but every community has its difficulties and you learn in freedom to begin to allow people to come to terms with ideas of how to separate Muslims that are Americans first and Muslims that are Islamists that hate the West or terrorists. And and it just, it amazes me that somehow, well, because this is sixth grade, that we should sh- shield them or shelter them from the realities of what is 9-11 and what was 9-11. So as I spoke to the reporter, and, and talk in your homes, talk about what you think should be taught at grade school. And, and I think one of the points that I always make is, on 9-11, so let's separate this out, on 9-11... It was a not only, I mean, all of my kids, for example, were born after 9-11. So this is only going to be something to them that's in the history books, that's in video footage and, and other things that they see, but not something they lived. And yet it has been a defining moment for the 21st century because of all of what we're seeing, not only in 9-11, but since then, and in the Iraq and Afghanistan war, then in 2011 with the Arab Awakening. So... There's the historical and religious narrative about exactly how did Al-Qaeda, when bin Laden declared war on America in 1998, why he was kicked out of Saudi Arabia, what actually led to the methods that Al-Qaeda used in the USS Cole, then in 9-11, and then in its branches throughout the Middle East. That's something that kids could understand and discuss and has nothing to do with American Muslims. I mean, there, we can talk about the connections with funding and radicalization. 15 of the 19 hijackers were Saudi. That's relevant. You can talk about the ideologies. That's not something that American Muslims, unless they have something to hide, should ever be concerned about. So that's the historical, contextual part of it that should be talked about on 9-11 and taught as part of our history books to our children, at whether that's 6th, 10th, or 12th grade. Then there's the social, cultural, ethnic aspects of being Muslim, being Arabic in America. Obviously, 9-11 is probably not the best time to do that. And I will tell you that as a country, coddling and protecting this any community let alone the community i feel i belong to the arabic and muslim community is actually detrimental patronizing and i believe bigoted that's not the way to prevent bigotry and if anything it makes the individuals feel smaller as if they need to be coddled that's the first thing the second thing is there is some obviously understanding of the analysis that happens and you know the reporter asked me well you know how should this be presented and i said well is it shouldn't it bring you pause and i've testified to congress many times about this shouldn't it bring you pause that a country founded on fighting theocracy 
is so dysfunctionally unable to talk about fighting theocracy in the Islamic faith. If anything, there's nothing more pro-Muslim. It's almost like saying the founding of America against the Christian church's mixture of church and state and the, the need for a country with a constitution and establishment clause, not freedom from religion, but freedom of religion, that that somehow is anti-Christian. I've talked about this before on this program. So it's important to understand where Islam is in its history. 1,430 plus years, almost 1,440 years old. Kids can learn that. When I talk to 8th grade classes, 10th grade classes, I talk to them about understand what's happening in the Middle East, where Islam is in its history, who's running Muslim establishments today, and you'll begin to understand why the Al-Qaeda operatives attacked us, why ISIS was brewed in the cauldron of Syria. So when we come back, I want to talk to you about what should you in your local cities and schools have your kids, have your family encourage conversations about history in the Middle East, about 9-11 and this wars that we've had in Iraq and Afghanistan. What should that narrative be? Obviously the truth and the facts, but how can we present it in a way that is not blatantly anti-Muslim, but is also not blatantly apologetic. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. We'll be right back. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back. This is the last segment this week of Reform This and something really dear to my heart. I, you know, as much as we do a lot of national media work, speak around the world on political Islam, the conveyor belt of radicalization, and what I believe is the root cause, which is nonviolent Islamism, the desire to implement Sharia, to implement the Islamic State concept within Muslim majorities, within Muslim communities. You know, I have to tell you that the context, the identification of myself, of my kids, of my family, of my friends with this country is, I think, paramount, is central. And there's battles happening. And I think the battle for reform is not only going to come from within Muslim identification, but it's going to also come from the milieu in which we sit. If that milieu here in America is an apologetic, defensive one that doesn't sit and, and, and just overflow with pride at the unique, successful laboratory and experiment that our founding fathers created here in religious liberty— we will fail at defeating political Islam. We will fail. Political Islam, as so many tests, is another significant test globally to secular liberal democracy, especially American democracy. One of the reasons my parents chose this country was my father felt that a country whose identity is ideological rather than ethnic and racial, Europe had a ton of democracies, has many French and British and other democracies, but America's identity is based in 
immigrant identity and based in Americanism as an ideology. If we can't embrace and proudly endorse that as a bulwark, as a method to confront radical theocracies, not only as our founding fathers did in the Church of England, but as Muslims should do, and embrace Muslims that are leading that fight as our allies, and Muslims that are part of the Islamist movements of theocrats as our enemies, or at least our antagonists. Enemies might be too harsh a term sometimes because obviously they're ideologically our antagonists, but right now some of these countries are run by those Islamists that are our allies, be it Egypt, Saudi Arabia, or otherwise. The corporate Islamists, maybe not the viral ones, but the corporate ones, right? We talk about the difference. And when a teacher decides to read a story about my name is Osama, a short story by Sharifa al-Khatib, and you read that, you read that story, and, and you find a kid that all of the kids in this grade school in New Jersey are reading, starting to say, oh, it is us. We should forget about the 3,000 killed. Forget about all the terror from Hamas to Al-Qaeda, now to ISIS. Forget about all that. Forget about the fact that we lost hundreds, over 5,000 more in the Iraq war. Forget about that. No, no. The real problem is Americans. They, they treat Muslims poorly. The real problem is how we treat. And where's the, where's the data, by the way, to back this up? CARE uh, produces their own self-fulfilling prophetic data, half of which many of the stories are later shown to be actually internally misrepresented cases that they jumped the gun at and found out a Quran that was burned was actually put on their door uh, by another Muslim who didn't know how to throw it away or uh, that uh, some stories were faked. We recently saw Prime Minister of Canada feeling sympathy for a Muslim girl who ended up reporting a faked story. A New York subway case in which the story was a girl who did not want to be punished by her parents, so she made up the story. Now there are examples of real bigotry, like the Oregon case. Again, the Oregon case, the guy was saved by an American who saw the individual being attacked and came to his rescue. Now, the little-known story is that when he went to get an award from CARE, he didn't hear about the fact that he rejected the award because all he heard during the presentation was anti-American nonsense that repulsed him. This is the battle that's happening on the front lines, is the battle between America as the devil, which is the story that often is put forth that somehow we are the problem because we sent military to try to liberate Iraq, try to liberate Afghanistan, to try to treat the disease, the symptom, but not the disease of radical Islamism, be it the Taliban in Afghanistan that was housing Al-Qaeda and bin Laden, be it Saddam Hussein and his connection to Al-Qaeda and other issues. And now we see what's happening in Syria. But the real disease is theocracy. The real disease is Islamism. So how do we talk about 9-11? How should your schools, how should your schools talk about 9-11? Factually, look at the root causes. Look at 
what created Al-Qaeda, who it was, the countries they came out of. It's not about Muslims. When I talked to the reporter about this case, I told him, listen, you don't say there's one Islam. It's not all good or not all bad. There are different interpretations of Islam. So if Muslims that have a theocratic mindset, when we teach about the American Revolution, do we say that that's all of Christianity? We say that the Church of England were Christians that rejected the formation of a country under God that rejected canonic law and government. The whole history of Christian Reformation is discussed in American high school world civilization classes, world history classes, and there doesn't seem to be blowback about that. And yet we're worried about blowback about real-time history today that kids can go home and Google and question and do whatever they want anyway. And yet they're having a sixth grade indoctrination with stories that actually patronizingly and I think bigoted way say that Muslims are the ones who are the victims. When in fact, it keeps us asleep. It keeps us from addressing the real problem, which is I think Muslims need to be made to feel more uncomfortable that we have some connection. We have some responsibility for the radicalization of our own community. When we hear a sermon, when we hear media that absolves us of responsibility when we hear sermons that are anti-semitic and anti-american why aren't we speaking up why aren't we training future imams that will be more moderate those are the stories that can be discussed on 9-11 it's a day to commemorate and educate america but what happened to us in history more americans were killed than at any attack since world war ii and then obviously how that led into the Afghanistan and Iraq war. There's political issues there, obviously religious ones and homeland security ones. But the Muslim and Arabic identity at any other time, I think is better served with honest conversations about what's happening. Honest conversations about tribalism, about the, the way women are treated, about the way my Christian and Jewish and non-Muslim minorities are treated in these countries. Why would it offend Muslims who escaped to come here to talk about the fact that the theocracy of Iran, talk to Iranian Americans and ask them if they would be offended if their kids learned about and discussed the theocratic radicalism of the Iranian regime? I don't think so. It doesn't impart. If anything, it gives them an opportunity. I remember when I was in eighth grade, we were talking about Libya and Gaddafi. The teacher gave me an opportunity to talk to my class about Arab dictatorships. And just because I gave them the truth about how vicious Gaddafi, how vicious Hafiz Assad and others were, if anything, they made them, it made my fellow eighth graders endeared to the fact that our our Family was part of the American dream. Escaping tyrants like Natan Sharansky talks about in his book, Solzhenitsyn and other prisoners of conscience that came from dictatorships to serve and be part of the West and part of America. So this is the message I think we need to take to our children. We need to teach our children. We need to be muscular liberals when we discuss American freedom, American history, when you discuss radical Islamists, and not be ashamed and not contextualize it with grotesquely 
exaggerated hyperbolic stories about bullying and other things that actually I think serves to paralyze Muslims, serves to demean us rather than empower us. Thank you. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This, and I'll see you next week. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Reaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network.